the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Clarity Christian College, formerly known as Florida Bible College. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. As I look at the cross up here, I think about Christ who really loves me. And he proved his love to me when he went to the cross. He took all my sin on himself. And he says, no matter how bad you are, he says, I'll forgive you. And all that's wrapped up in the death and the resurrection of Christ. So God loves me. And my first response when I trust him, receive that forgiveness from him, is to look back to him and say, Lord, I do love you with all of my heart, soul, and mind. And I will live the rest of my life in a love relationship of honoring you by obeying you and getting to know you. I love you, Lord. But it doesn't end there. If I really love the Lord, then it goes to the next step. Remember, he loves me. If I love him, then I too will love those whom he loves. And so now I know that God loves others, the hope for every man. And he loves them so much that he also died and rose again for their sins too. So he loves me. I love him. And then I'm going to love the people that he loves. But now I take that to another step. It's not me just thinking about, yes, Christ is the answer and he's the hope for every man and I really love them, but yet I sit here without doing something. And I look at Christ and he literally sacrificed his life to get that message of love out to others. So again, he loves me. I love him. I'll love whom he loves and I'm going to do something about taking that message of salvation to that person. And so we're right now launching this wonderful, what we might call the Easter week or the Passion Week of Christ. And next week is going to be the most prime time for people to experience the reality of Christ. Not some figure of Christ, but the reality of Christ. And we here as a faith family, we want to be on the cutting edge of loving the Lord, loving those whom he loved, and doing something about it. And so that's why I'm praying that this message would really connect to you. Let me ask you, how do you respond when you receive some good news? How did you respond? If I was to ask a young child, how did they respond when they got their favorite gift for their birthday or Christmas? They would say, I couldn't believe it. I shrieked. I opened up the gift. I played with it. I told all my friends. That's how a kid would do it. How many of you, perhaps, there might be a few of you, married couple, not able to have children, and then a miracle occurred and you were able to conceive? Can you remember when it was confirmed that you would have a child? Who was the first person you called? How did you react when you heard that? How about some of you that got an unexpected promotion or bonus? Or maybe some of you were accepted in a college or university program that you didn't think you could get in. When all those good things happened to you, how did you respond? And maybe there's even a greater group of you who you got a report from the doctor that there was something very suspicious and they ran you through a battery of tests 
and you just knew you had that big C problem called cancer. And after they finished their testing and they brought the results to you, they said, no, there's no cancer there at all. This is just a little bit. We can fix it with this medicine and boom, you're on your way. How did you feel about that? Those are good things. But you know, there's also good news that we want to share when we're rescued from something. This past week, my wife was having a breakfast with a lady. She was trying to explain the wonderful love story of Christ to this person who didn't know it at all. And her cell phone rang and she answered it. And there was her sister saying that she was rushing over to the mountain where her father was because her father was on a dirt road up at the top of a mountain and rode off the road and the car rolled over, the truck rolled over 150 feet down into a ravine and they were trying to rescue him. And so throughout the week, we were following the saga. And believe it or not, there's no broken bones, just some skinned up and a wrecked truck. But I could tell you, my father-in-law was so thrilled. He couldn't, he, he just couldn't say enough about the rescue squad who took an hour to get to him. Couldn't open the door, had to get him out, had to lay him on a sled and take his little doggy who was with him in the truck and put him on his lap and slide him up that mountain to get him to safety into the hospital. He was so excited, he was telling everybody how good the rescuers were to take care of him tenderly and carefully and professionally and quickly. And I got thinking, that happens in everyday life. And I want you to know those are wonderful things when we receive a gift or we receive a rescue. And yet every one of those, they're not going to last forever. What really makes the good news about God and Christ good news is the fact that our sins are forgiven and that good news will last forever and ever and ever and ever. That raise you get, it won't last forever. That promotion you get won't last forever. Yes, your children are highly significant, but they're going to grow up and have their own life and you know what I mean by that and they're gone too. And no matter how much we might have been healed from some horrible affliction, we still will die. And so the greatest news we could ever have is the good news that our way has been paid for to get into heaven by someone else, the Lord Jesus Christ, and by simple childlike faith in Him we can have eternal life. Now that's good news. Do I hear a witness of an amen on that? Now I know you agree with that, and I do too, but now I'm wondering, why is it though that the greatest good news we could ever experience that we get a gift of eternal life and rescued from hell and Satan and sin, and yet we do not have that same passion to go tell somebody that there is hope for every person? Well, today, I'm not here to beat up on anybody because I'm in the same boat you are. That I, too, knowing that good news, want to share it with others. Let me take you through a passage, which is the passage of good news in the Bible. Would you look at it there in your little outline? It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 through 7, that talks about what makes the good news good news. It goes like this. Paul is writing this long after Christ died and rose again and went to heaven and he's communicating it to people just like you and me so he'd understand the goodness of the good news. He says, moreover, brethren, that would be you and me, I declare to you the gospel, and you see in parentheses there, good news, which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, which also you are saved or rescued. If you hold fast that word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, bold print. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried. Let me pause for a moment. Christ did die, that's why they buried him. You never bury a live person, you only bury dead people. So that's why it said Christ died and he was buried to substantiate the fact that Jesus Christ's body did die. Let's go on a little bit further. 
and that he rose again, bold print. So he died and rose again. That's the heartbeat of the gospel. And the third day, according to the scriptures, he was seen alive by Cephas and the twelve, and after that by five hundred brethren at once, of whom greater part remained to the present, to the time that Paul wrote this. But some have died or fallen asleep. And after that he was even seen by James and by all the apostles, so many people saw him. So again, you will not really understand a resurrection or coming back to life if no one ever saw them alive after they died. So the gospel is really reduced not to the death, burial, and resurrection. The gospel is really reduced to the death of Christ, he really did die, and the resurrection of Christ, and he really came back to life again. So what is the good news? It's the gospel. What is the gospel, that death and resurrection, for our sins so we can have eternal life? That is good news. That is not only worth sharing, that is important to share. That is something that we need to share, and that's what we're going to learn today. And I hope that today's message will be one that will really speak to your heart about sharing this wonderful message of the gospel. Well, I know that we're involved in what's called March Madness. Some of you are following basketball. Some of you are playing on our basketball team. I just want you to know we've got a great team, but we're not in March Madness or the Final Four. But I can tell you that people today are strategizing a game plan. Well, what is the game plan now? What, What does God want us to do with, all right, I love those whom God loves. How can I reach out and touch them by sharing this great good news with them? So I'm just going to kind of lock in on two or three verses and park there for a while so that you can see how easy it is to communicate that wonderful message that your family and friends can spend eternity in heaven by faith alone. So let's look at this game plan for evangelism, shall we? First of all, you see the power is in the Holy Spirit. Now, the verse simply says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's pretty easy to see. Now, if you will look up here for just a moment, I'm going to kind of draw up here on my invisible screen a little bit of a timeline so you can really catch the, uh, the ethos of all of this. All right, so here we go. You know that Jesus Christ, he died and that he rose again. When he rose again, here's new news for some of you. He didn't rise again and go straight to heaven. He revealed himself for a period of time, 40 days on this earth. He revealed himself to small groups, large groups, a lot of people. And during that time, he was telling them important truths, reminding them of things he's already taught them, and then giving new truths. And one of those truths was that he was going to send in the future the Holy Spirit to come. Now that happened when Jesus Christ, after he resurrected, and then he was on the earth, the next word is ascended, went up to heaven. When he went up to heaven, it was at that time then that he sent the Holy Spirit. Now, the story we're reading right now is Jesus is still on the earth, but he had already died. He came back to life, and he's seen of others, and he's still giving truth now, and he is saying to them, you're going to get the Holy Spirit, and when you get the Holy Spirit, you're going to get power. Now, if you look at your worship outline there, that folder you have in front of you, you're going to see the verse then that says in the next chapter, and the Holy Spirit came upon them because then he ascended up to heaven and he sent the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that some of you, this is pretty doctrinal and it might sound a little dusty and old and a little hard to follow, but it's really not. Now, let's take it to where you and I are today. Jesus Christ now said he was going to send the Holy Spirit. He ascended up to heaven. He did send the Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit is available to live inside of certain people. Now the question would be, who does the Holy Spirit come inside of to live? Indwell, we'll use that word. It's very simple. It's anybody who has chosen to place their faith alone in Christ for the forgiveness of sin. At that very moment, they are called born again. 
That means the Holy Spirit comes inside of them. They have this new birth experience. Sins are forgiven. They have a home in heaven. God is no longer their creator only, but now he becomes their father and they become a partaker of his divine nature. It is such a new nature that they get. Now, those are the people that now have power, the ability to share the message with those who need it the most. Every man needs the hope that God can give them. And we now have the power source within us. So now as I look at myself, what does power mean? Well, we can make some big deal over the word power is like our word dynamite today. And that might mean something to you, but maybe more practically it would be this. When I receive the power of the Holy Spirit, I receive all that's necessary from God that will help me to live out my Christian life in a way that would be pleasing to Him. So that power would be, if I need to know more about the Bible, the Holy Spirit, power, His ability to teach me the word I will have. I will receive the power now to live my life in a separated way for Him because it's His life lived out through me. If I need confidence to share that simple message of hope with someone, to kind of bridge into some new territory here, that confidence, that boldness, that ability, that power, that strength is found in Christ who now lives inside of me. So let me ask this question to this wonderful group that's here today. How many are positive that if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven because you placed your faith alone in Christ? Would you raise your hand? Okay. Now, when you put your hand up like that, you also subtly attested to this. You got the power. You got the Holy Spirit inside of you right now. You have all that's necessary to give you the confidence to do it. Now, let's talk about that. Power is a lot like electricity. In order for electricity to work, you have to have contact. Now, for us to have contact with the Spirit, we trust Christ as Savior. He lives inside of us. So now I can supernaturally contact the Spirit because He lives inside of me. And that's what electricity is all about, having that contact. And as long as I allow Him to live His life out through me, I have that. The second thing about electricity is that it has to have minimal resistance. How many of you have heard about a family member or a friend or a neighbor who might have had a fire in their home or maybe even in their business and after they've sought it all out, they found out that it happened perhaps in one of those electrical boxes. It was because there was some form of resistance in there that built up the heat that then caused the fire that then brought down the house or caused damage. Have you ever had anybody like that? Well, there was resistance there. Well, for us, if we resist the Spirit, then we don't have the full use of the power. Watch carefully. When that house caught fire and it burned, what generally happened then? Usually then, the power shuts off and the house then continues to burn. Well, for us, as a Christian, we need to have minimal resistance. In other words, we should yield to the Lord. Allow Him to help us to reach out to other people. So, let's make some sense out of this. This week you know that the Lord wanting to have the message of his love shared with friends, and he wants you to do that, he now is going to put you in contact with those that are family or friends or neighbors that need to hear the message of Easter next week. And so he's given you the power because you know Christ is Savior. So I want you to know that within you now, you have the ability to come up with a way to bridge into the simple plan of salvation. For some of you, you'll start a secular conversation, then you'll move it into something spiritual, and then perhaps even into a final invitation to either trust Christ or maybe even come to hear the message next Sunday where the gospel will be given. So the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> the power will be 
to prompt you to get into a conversation for the purpose of giving that man, woman, hope. The next thing the Holy Spirit will do when you're now bridging into this is that he is going to call back to your mind maybe some scripture, maybe a particular verse that will help that person understand more clearly, more correctly the way of salvation. You might be reminded of John 3.16 that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him won't perish but have everlasting life. What caused you to remember that? It would be, who caused you to remember that? The Holy Spirit. Again, that's the power. The power to prompt you. The power to remind you. The power now to give you the courage to lovingly speak the message of the gospel confidently. What else will the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit will give you discernment and wisdom to know how far to take that conversation so it does not turn into an argument where it just turns into a loving conversation about a wonderful truth and how to bring that to a close. Now, if you want to know, you do it. I know there's a little flesh thing going on here because we have to open our mouths, we have to speak, have to smile, have to be genuine. But really, who is empowering us is the Holy Spirit. So the game plan of evangelism begins with, we have the power when we trust Christ, and we can do it. Have you often wondered why there are people, I'm talking to Christians now, that you've got certain people you know that are Christians that just seem to drop of a hat, they can talk about Jesus. I know a person like that. It's my wife. Everywhere she goes, she's talking about Jesus, talking about Jesus, telling people about how to go to heaven, sharing a gospel track, inviting them to church, doing something about the message of the gospel. I really love her because because of that. I'm here today. I'm one of those, all right, that she talked to. Now, I'll be the first to tell you, my wife really is shy. Her personality bent is shyness, and she likes to be quiet, and she doesn't like the microphone and, and all of that. And if she's outspoken more now, it's because she's lived around me, I guess. I don't know. But the reality of it is, she got the power when she trusted Christ as Savior. She made the contact. She has minimal resistance and she right now can't even tell you, I don't know why I do this. It's not me. It's God. And if she can do it, folks, <laughs> I know you can do that too. And so the problem isn't getting more power. The problem is releasing the power we already have. All right. So how else can we bring the love of Christ to that person? Well, we have to have the power and we get that through the Holy Spirit. But there's also the second. God is also going to use the person to do it. And that would be you and me. It's going to take a human person, a humanoid, we might say it, to be able to do it. Now, obviously, God will use anyone. We could show you scripture where he even used the, a donkey to talk to someone. Now, I'm not implying any of you or me would be donkeys. But I am trying to tell you that God would much prefer to use those who are his children to share the message. Oh, God will use a broken tape recorder to play a tape on that we might be able to hear even that's scratchy. But he'd much prefer using one that's right. And so the one he would like to use is a Christian. And why not? Because when we mention about Jesus Christ, we're not just giving a truth we got out of a book to another person over here. We're talking about a truth that we read in the Bible that now impacted our lives, made a difference, and now we are testifying of what's happened. So we add more, can I say, more humanness to this story of reality. So it's not just an academic belief, something that we get in some school somewhere. Jesus has made a difference in our life. Jesus has changed our life. We're not embracing Christianity. We're embracing Christ. And the more we do it biblically according to Scripture, the more genuine we'll be with others. And they'll see it in the reality of it. Now, some of you might be thinking, 
Can God use me to share that message of hope with a friend? Yes, he can. For some of you that are at the front end of this, it might be very difficult to know how do you exactly open a conversation? What do I say? And what happens if he asks me questions about the Bible I don't know the answer to? Like, did Adam have a belly button because he didn't have a mother? You know, I don't know the answer to that question, and you might not know it either. But now don't let those issues and questions and doubts shut you down. So God can use a personality who could be very people-oriented to share the message. God can use a personality who would be very task-oriented to share the message. God could use someone who's very outgoing to share the message. And frankly, sometimes I wonder if God uses the quietest ones to share the message even most effectively because then people can see that it's really all of God and not of that person who shares it. So whatever your personality, whatever your experiences are, some of you might be looking at your life and you say, if I look back and I look at my diary, I can see nothing but shattered lives, broken promises, mistakes that I have made, relationships that are in shambles. Can God really use me? The answer, he can. Take ownership of the things that you've done. Ask forgiveness. Make restitution where you can and where you can't. Grieve it and leave it. Now you take that to the bank. And then you take right where you are and you move on for the Lord. But God says, I want to use people. Yes, I can use a gospel track. And yes, I could use a speaker like a pastor or a great Bible teacher, whatever. But he says, I much prefer to use my sons and daughters for whom I died to share the message of hope with others. Because your life has technicolor. Your life has surround sound. And you have relationships that no public speaker could ever have. And God says, I want to use you. Look at the verse it says here. It says, you shall be my witnesses. Now, I know when you read that, especially those of you that are outside of Christianity and have been impacted by other religious groups, you hear the word witnesses there. And you think perhaps about those who might come to your door on a Saturday and they want to give you material and talk about certain things and they kind of get too pushy in your life and, and, and whatever it might be. And so you kind of shut down to anything that's religious. And I'm not here putting up against that group. But right now I want you to know that the concept of being a witness is not wrong. It is a very, very good thing. If I had someone that did something to me and it was my word against that person and that person wronged me, wouldn't I want a witness to what happened so the truth could be established so it's not just my word against that person's word? Of course I would. So witnessing is not wrong. It's a good thing. Wouldn't we want someone to stand with us publicly and testify, this is what's happened? Well, that's what the Lord is saying. I died on the cross basically alone. But I want to know, is there any others that can witness to the fact that I did die and rise again from the dead? And this Bible is loaded with names. Dozens, hundreds of names or people that have witnessed that. But more than that then, that's then, this is now. How many of you could stand up with the message of Christ and say, I'll be a witness. He did die and rise again. I know I'm going to heaven. My sins are forgiven. My guilt is gone. I know that he made a difference in my life. He says, I'm just looking for witnesses. Now, in a sense, I'm kind of glad this is in English because if you saw that word witnesses in the Greek, you'd go nuts. I know I did. The Greek word, which doesn't mean so much how to pronounce it, it means martyr. So he says, I'm looking for martyrs. Now, when you hear that, you think every martyr's got to die. Well, not every martyr has to die, but I would like to say this. Perhaps every martyr needs to be willing to put their reputation on the line and maybe it will cost you, not your life, but it might cost you a relationship or two. Now think with me. Just think. 
I know it's painful. To, I like everybody to like me. I want everybody to, to appreciate me and all that. But the reality ranch is this. It's not going to happen. So now I have the choice either my friends or family or those that I've known a long time really admiring me and liking me and respecting me and at the same time selling Christ out and I have Christ over here looking at me with a tear trickling down his cheek thinking, you just sold me out. You know that I've done all this for you and you won't witness for me. Look at what they're doing for me and and you're looking for the applause of your friends. And when you get to heaven, what am I going to do? Oh, I'll let you into heaven, but... I can't give you as many of the rewards I want for you. And so over here, I have this choice. Do I want the approval of Christ in a sense? I have his acceptance. That, that's a given. No matter what I do, he accepts me. But whatever I do or don't do, that's the approval part. Or do I want that at my friends? He says, I just want a, a witness. Now, there's a couple ways to witness. And by the way, they both have to be together. But one way to witness is by our life. And so if I live a life that's clean and pure before the Lord, I become a good witness. But on the other side of it, I can have a good, clean life, do everything right, have integrity, be friendly to people, kind, servant, do things, give. And at the end of my day, at the end of my week, at the end of my life, people are going to say, my, my, that man, Stan Pons over there, was really nice. He helped me when I needed him. He was always friendly to me. He never talked about me, never talked about anybody negatively. He just cared for me. Guess what happens? That person who said that about me still dies and goes to hell. I get the praise. He gets no truth of salvation. This is Joe Pons, and I want to thank you for listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Clarity Christian College. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the word of God with clarity into every person's world. It's the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. That's makeitclear.org. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please email us at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. That's tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.